This is a throwdown, a showdown. Hell no, Rob Fay Nation can't slow down. It's gonna go. First offense. All the mix. Okay, party people in the house. You're about to witness something you've never witnessed before. All right, it's your midweek edition of Sports Bar Radio. Usually it is a Monday affair, but of course I've got to be a little bit late to the party. And luckily the savvy, multi-talented Rob Simpson of Vancouver Hockey Now is willing to push himself back a couple of days to Wednesday, but we got him right in advance of a very big game against the Blues. Robert, how are you today? Pretty good, and apparently you got my check. I did get your check. (laughs) I'm not sure if it cashed or not, but (laughs) we'll take it one step at a time. Rob, let's talk about this Vancouver Canucks team because they're like a check that you're not sure if they're going to bounce or not for the simple fact that March was an interesting month. Hot as a pistol certain times and uh, as cold as a bucket of ice other times. What do you make of this month of March for the good ship Vancouver? The good ship Vancouver. The pivot point for me, if they do not make the postseason, and it's going to be a very difficult road to get to that postseason, was the one nothing loss to the Detroit Red Wings. is inexcusable. I know they piled up the uh, shots on uh, Alex Nedeljkovic, the goaltender for Detroit, and he played very, very well. But you just can't. There just seemed to be a lack of focus on finish in that hockey game. I think there were chances that could have been converted. And we can go back and rehash it. But let's just say, you know what? When you're rolling along there and uh, to a degree uh, and you're having a pretty good homestand to that point, and then you drop a one nothing to a Detroit team that had lost five out of six. And then, of course, went on to lose four to two to the Seattle Kraken in their next game. That one, that's the that's a real sore spot. I mean, losing to Buffalo in overtime kind of sucked two games later and getting smushed by Calgary, which wasn't unexpected. I still go back to the Detroit game as the pivot point. That said. Team comes out of the homestand, which was disappointing, and uh, does very well on the road trip. Even with the loss to the Blues on Monday night, it's a 2-1-1 one, and one roadie, really tough roadie. And I think if you said that ahead of time, you'd say, hell yeah, I'll take a 2-1-1. One, and one. So now they have to take care of business against uh, St. Louis. So if you look at March, it's a disappointing homestand, pretty impressive road trip. And now we transition into the ultimate stretch drive. So some of the news and notes that came out of Canuck camp today, Nils Hoaglander, his season could be done. Yep. I would call it the sophomore jinx because that's the easy thing to say, the low-hanging fruit, if you will. But Nils Hoaglander, I, I feel when I look back at his season, it's part I don't know if he was able to elevate, and it was part I don't know if he was given the chance to elevate. I mean, you got to think of a young player in the midst of a coaching change, two different philosophies, two different ways, the the gray cloud over the sky of Vancouver for the first 20 or so games of the season. Was Nils set up for success or did he not grab the opportunity when it was there for him? No, I think he was set up for success. And I, I brought up the Baltic line quite often where they decided, uh, Bruce Boudreau decided to kind of throw this line together at times. And that would be uh, Elias Pettersson. Uh, Nils Hoaglander and Vasily Podkolzin and super dynamic uh, offensive line. But two of those three players had a real hard time defending and playing a 200 foot hockey game. And therefore he couldn't keep the line together offensively, man, it was, uh, you know, eyes in the back of the head type stuff, unbelievable chemistry and timing and creativity. But uh, again, couple of the fellows just couldn't defend and the main the main culprit of them and i talked to bruce boudreau about this quite a bit on the road trip that took us through new york the new york area and toronto 
that Hoaglander was just struggling and, and just not playing very well uh, 200 feet. Um, so, I mean, he had an opportunity there in, in a showcase situation to take his game to another level, which he kind of did offensively, but then dropped the ball defensively. And that pretty much sums up the whole package this season before he got injured. So I wouldn't say he wasn't given an opportunity. I'd say he was given a couple golden opportunities and he was probably given that opportunity again and again and again in certain ways, um, really not ever sat on a consistent basis. I mean, he got benched for portions of games and maybe sat once, but otherwise I think it was just a matter of, and, and if you want to diagnose it, Rob, you know, there's the expectations, not from, not just external, but internally, that's why sophomore slumps happen a lot. Guys have good first years, and then in their minds, if they get off to a slow start, they're like, "Oh God, I'm not, you know, I'm not getting it done like I did." And I, and they start to grip the stick. And there's just a lot of psychology involved. And um, you know, he's he's struggled, and that's not to say that his career is completely sidetracked. It's just one of those things. And now we'll have to overcome uh, injury and and get a fresh start. A guy who's a curious one for me. Uh, he's become a fan favorite in the city is Luke Shen. Shen is an interesting creature because I think if you're a media guy, you love him. Great quotes, yep. plays hard, gets into the dirty areas, and uh, is a fan favorite, but not exactly a guy that's going to you know light up the analytic. If you are the Vancouver Canucks, how do you handle Luke Shen moving forward? Well, you, in an ideal situation, he's not playing on a top pair like he is now. Uh, I mean, you're, you're not really wanting Luke Shen playing with Quinn Hughes in an ideal world. You're wanting him in your bottom pair. That's ultimately what it comes down to. It's a depth situation on the blue line. And we've been talking about that since training camp. That said, okay, he's out of place in that regard. But for a team that's not very physical, generally, for a team that's doesn't have a lot of that hard to play against thing going on. I mean, they can be feisty and fast and naggy and forecheck. Boy, when you look at the St. Louis Blues and you consider them quote unquote heavy, uh, classic Western Conference, classic cup winners, you don't see that right now from the Vancouver Canucks. And I, I love the fact that he knocks guys on their ass in front of the net, knocks guys ass in the, on their ass in the corner stands up for his goaltender, stands up for Quinn Hughes. That's why he's a fan favorite. That's why he's a coach favorite. That's why on and off the ice, he's a he's just a straight up sound individual. Um, so he brings all that to the table, which this franchise needs, but again, misplaced in terms of talent and pecking order. Am I wrong to start looking at next season? Like I look at what they'd have to do mathematically, 11 and three, you know, give or take a, a point here or there. These final 14 games are really important for more than just the playoffs, are they not? I mean, there's a lot of things that you can learn about a team when all of a sudden the math isn't on their side, no? Yeah, you can learn quite a bit about, you know, who has the, what word should I use here? Who has the balls to uh, really stick with this and put forth an effort to kind of make this bid or continue this bid that's been rolling on. I mean, you can look at things there. You can look at performances and actual production on a, on a statistical level or an analytical level there as well, because let's face it. I mean, they need everybody pulling in the same direction, even if they don't make it like as kind of, as you're alluding to here, it's a real good chance to kind of get a, you know, a view of how certain guys perform in a, in a high pressure 
kind of grind, really. Ultimately, this is just an ongoing grind. This is a regular season playoff mentality over a elongated stretch. I mean, that that's challenging. So on a lot of levels, uh, yeah, you can look forward. I mean, and in the meantime, Rob, we can definitely still have some fun kind of clinging. I mean, the fans can have still have some fun with it in the media, kind of cling to that, oh, my God, could they pull this off type thing? Could they do what Bruce Boudreaux's Washington Capitals team did and win a bunch of games and then win their final seven to sneak into the playoffs. I mean, we don't know yet, but uh, they definitely need to take care of business against the Blues. You know, a number that I've thought of over the last couple of days is 70, and that is the number pertaining to Brock Besser, who currently is at 62 games played. In his career, which is now five seasons deep, he has never broken the 70-game plateau. There has always been an injury. There has always been some health concern. But this year, he's been there. And the next goal that he gets will be his 20th of the season. But there is a huge looming number with his qualifying offer at the end of the season. What would Brock Besser have to do to solidify getting that offer from the Canucks. Take what I just said and apply it to him. Yeah. Right. Over the last four weeks, like that's ultimately late. And I, uh, and I, you know what, his name might've been floating around in the back of my cerebellum as I was describing that scenario as in terms of testing players and viewing players from a kind of a uh, stick to or just kind of a grind element, a mental makeup element a um, bit of a ghost in uh, the game Monday night against a very heavy team, uh, like just zeros across the board. Had two shots on goal in 18 minutes, um, in, and I just didn't think was a played a big part in things during his during his 19 shifts. But um, you know, has produced points here and there. Has had a couple of goals in his last six games, but then you know didn't have anything for five prior to that. I don't know. I mean, you have to turn into a ball of fire over this last month of the season to really have them incredibly inspired. I would think, I think that's why throughout the course of the season, he's a streaky player and streaky players, man, it's always tough to pony up for players like that. And it's why his name's been on the board or was on the board off and on for much of the season. I mean, you've got, you know, JT Miller potentially with a really big number. Patterson's only a couple of years from a couple of big numbers. I know that doesn't play into next season's decision, but at well, it should. Point, it well, should actually, I, because because you know what? If you if that's that's seven million, or maybe it's six in a renegotiated situation, six seven somewhere in that ballpark, seven and a half. I don't know if you want that hang, hanging around when you have all these other options and opportunities coming up. Not that not that far down the road. I'm so glad you said that because I was thinking in order to go out and get somebody that is a longer term option. Sometimes you got to let go of something in order to free up that money to go and start that four or five year deal that you might be able to go out there and get. Again, a lot of pieces, a lot of shifting plate tectonic here with the Vancouver Canuck. But it is interesting to, you know, to realize that it is more than just making the postseason over these last 14 games. Oh, absolutely. All right. Absolutely. General managers had their meetings or, of course, you know, got face to face for the first time in a long time. Gave the opportunity for the big wigs to go down south and work on their tan as well. Some of the things that came out of this, I think the one that we'll talk on first, you know, obviously, Rob, is the officiating. That was front and center. We'll get into the LTIR and all the other stuff like that. But 
Let's talk about the officiating right now, because I think it's starting to get hotter and hotter right now. They've been given the gift of having replay. They've been given the gift of an extra official on the ice. I remember the old days of when it was just three. Now it's four. (laughs) But I mean, realistically, at some point, the officiating has to come under some scrutiny. And I think this is the meetings where it did. Yeah, I mean, this is a tough one uh, just because it, it even if it's poor at times, it generally evens out what the area that you want to see consistency in particular is when there is kind of a declaration of something like there was at the beginning of this season on the cross checking penalty. Right. And are they going to continue to uphold the standard that was set when they were making all these extra cross checking penalties calls earlier in the season, things like that. After having gone through this and been through this for so long, and it's an issue that always comes back up again and again and again, it's hard to just kind of complain and nitpick because ultimately comes down to the pair of guys you get out there with the orange armbands on a given night and how they're going to call it. Um, It's always been that way, whether it was one ref or two, there's certain characteristics that some bring to the table that bring to the ice surface. I don't really get into it on harping on officiating because every home crowd is going to bitch. You know, every home crowd is going to complain about, oh, it's going against us. You know, ref, you suck. Um, I think it's, I think it just kind of levels out. And Brad Treleving, I heard an interview with him, the GM of the Calgary Flames during the GM meetings, basically saying, you know, they're the best in the world. It's, it's a difficult challenge. It's a matter of just upholding standards that have been implemented if those standards have changed. So you can complain about that if, you know, you declare something and then you're not consistent with it. But otherwise, to use the Belichick, it is what it is. Another department that is coming under a little bit of scrutiny, in addition to the on-ice officiating, is the Department of Player Safety, which is George Peros and Company. Taylor Hall gets 5K for basically punching Ilya Lubushkin from behind. It was more of a grab and a clutch than an actual punch or maybe a Will Smith-like slap. But (laughs) 5K, a lot of people bitching that it was too, too light. Yeah, well, I also heard a comparison to Todd Bertuzzi and Steve Moore, which is absurd. I mean, that was from from behind. What the damage done there was when he fell on his head, like basically... Two hundred twenty on top of him, yeah. Two hundred twenty-five pound man falling on a guy who's unconscious is not not good for you. No, um, I think that reporter heard it pretty good that that was nothing like Todd Bertuzzi. No, no, no. Um, I mean, whatever. Kim, I mean, I think it's at least a game. To be quite honest, I mean, if you sucker punch someone from a blind position, regardless of the result, you're looking at at least a game. Didn't we see that? Well, that was a cross check from Austin Matthews. He got two games. So, yeah, I think a, I think a sucker punch in, under any circum. I shouldn't say whatever, because now that I think about it, I was kind of drifting, drifting back to the Todd Bertuzzi there. I, if you sucker punch someone blind, you should be getting at least a game. You mentioned Austin Matthews. I'm going to kind of bounce around like a ping pong ball here for a second and, and just talk about the fact that he's got 49 goals this season. He is one of the game's elite. I know because he plays for Toronto, everybody bitches and moans that he gets more attention than everybody else, but it's well-deserved. Like, this is a guy who essentially is one of the best players in the league, and he doesn't get over with people. Why is that? Well, I brought it up before. He bugged the hell out of me last playoffs 
when he got basically kind of ragdolled and was laughing goofily uh, <laughs> against the Montreal Canadiens in their game in their seven game first round loss. Uh, it was just weird. I, I think it's, I think it's just kind of a toughness factor. I think it's like he gets grouped in with the whole can't get past the first round, not physical enough, not hard enough to play against team from Toronto that can light the lamp and fly around and make pretty plays. But when it comes right down to H O C K E Y hockey, they can't get it done. And he's kind of the poster boy for that. So super talented, super duper sniper. Um, obviously first in the league, one ahead of dry right now, amazing talent, but until that club does a little something extra and shows a little sack, he's going to be grouped in. He, he is for me. There is potential this year to have five 50-goal scorers in the NHL, which would be a pretty cool stat to get to. Last year, obviously, the numbers are a bit different, but Austin Matthews, only person to break the 40-goal plateau. you yep. got to go several years back to have that much depth. What has changed about the game that is starting to allow players to open up? I mean, if you go back to 2018-2019, Dreisaitl and Ovechkin touched 50. Tavares was next at 47, and then it dropped off from there. Yeah, I just think it's it's opened up more and more and more, and the game's become less physical. Um, we've talked about officiating. I think there's more room on the ice for these guys. I think the talent level continues to increase because, uh, like, I'm you know I'm interviewing Craig Berube today. I was laughing about this. Craig Berube, the coach of the St. Louis Blues, he had 3,100 plus penalty minutes in the National Hockey League, and I. Almost got into this conversation with him, but I didn't have a chance to double check it. I believe that's more PIMS than his entire roster right now combined. Like if you took all of their PIMS in their careers put together. So what time span is that? Is that over? What are we looking at? A 30-year time period? We go from just absolute animal behavior on a consistent basis, which I loved, what they call a man's game beyond, to now where it's friendlier to the point where guys chit chat at center ice before the game guys talk to the goalie after they make a save you can go on and on and on i don't believe for a second it's easy because it is a grind and 82 games is too many and it's still very very physical it's unbelievably demanding and you can go on through the list of why it's the greatest game and why these guys are the best athletes and the toughest but it's still not what it was and there's just more room out there and you know, there used to be sticks were regulated. I mean, it just starts to add up over time. And you combine the technology with the training, the, the, these kids growing up now, and they're, they're, they're little machines, they're hockey machines. And the de- like the hand eye, Rob, if you watch games all the time, the thing that amazes me on a consistent basis, when you see guys knocking down pucks, guys will rip pucks. 40, 50, 60 mile per hour on the board, center ice, wherever. And guys just knock it down. Like the hand-eye coordination is absurd. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, it's just a matter of the skill level accelerating and piling on top of one another and getting better and better and better. So I think you're going to see offensive totals for all of those reasons continuing to cruise back up to the previous standards that we used to see in the 80s when it was just wide open, wild west, insane open hockey with – expansion teams and you had you know people taking advantage of that and the style of play there's so much coaching now this skill has had to fight through the structure of the game in recent years and i think it's now gradually starting to emerge 
through some of the structure that's been implemented. He is Rob Simpson of VancouverHockeyNow.com. Rob, just before I let you go, I was at a wedding this past week. He was asking me about Wayne Gretzky on TV and how he did not feel that some of the game's elite, regardless of the sports, be it Tom Brady, Tiger Woods, whoever you want to say, Wayne Gretzky, should do that kind of stuff because it brings them back to the pack. You have been on television with some of the best in the game, whether they are executives or players. Do you think that tarnishes their overall brand when the game's elite do things like head coaching or go behind the camera and start to do stuff like that? Like, should they just stay on their pedestal or should they come back to the pack, as I was told? That's interesting. I haven't thought about that. Um, I mean, I don't have a problem with it. He he can he can sell his brand. I mean, back in the old days, guys would uh, superstars would do car commercials in their local market. You know, like Guy Lafleur's of the world, things like that. I mean, these guys were gods. Um, I mean, I don't I don't think so. I think it's you know he's doing the gambling, uh, the wagering, MGM commercials he's a he's a spokesman there he's doing the tv games as you mentioned no i mean whatever i mean we found out previously that a lot of times stars don't make good coaches and he definitely was not a good one so that's one category but in terms of promoting the brand hell do what you want i mean unless he cheapens it somehow but i don't think he's really done anything to cheapen it has he you know, it was, a, it was a great conversation because I was against it. I thought it's great that he's still giving back to the game. I think his stuff, like, try having an argument with Wayne Gretzky on a panel about something to do with the game of hockey. <laughs> <laughs> like, I think it'd be tough to be a guy opposite Wayne Gretzky because whatever Wayne would say to me would go because of who he is. I also think when you bring up topics like the war and you bring up changes to the game and you bring up little things that you don't want to get into the political, you don't want to get into the, you know, work stoppages and lockouts of the world, because again, you're that guy. Is that one of the things where I guess you would say almost like a, a TV company would protect him from those kind of conversations? Or once you jump in, you got to jump in and take all things more than just assessments on goals and assists. I haven't really seen his, I know it's kind of loosey goosey fun. They've tried to take the more kind of, uh, rigid panel kind of discussion out of it now that the contract has moved from NBC to TNT and ESPN. I'm, I understand. I, I'm very happy that I get to watch Canadian productions. Let's just put it that way. I understand the ESPN production in a lot of ways is just unwatchable, whether it's at the rink or wherever. I, I would generally stay clear of that stuff, you know, when you're talking about the National Hockey League and all those good things. One thing I'll say about Wayner, down-to-earth guy, and he patterns his behavior in, on his hero, Gordy Howe, who was humble and kind and generous and an unbelievable representative of the game. And, I, and that is who Wayne Gretzky ultimately tries to exemplify. He's not going to do that while he's joking around on a television set, but big picture, when it comes right down to it, he's, you know, he's not going to take offense to things. He's going to take a humble approach. I, I would think and that's the way it appears and having spoken to him and heard him talk about that very topic he takes the gordy how tack and you can't really do better than that i would agree with you wholeheartedly what do you got coming up on vancouverhockeynow.com what am i reading i've got a cool little uh pregame today and the reason why it's a cool little pregame is not only did we get a chance to talk to uh the canucks and bruce boudreau and connor garland but neat real neat comments from uh Craig Berube, the head coach of the Blues, and also Ryan O'Reilly, captain, about 
really detailing what it's going to take to win and why they won that last game uh, against the Canucks, chipping the puck in and get it, making the defenseman turn. And also referring back to the bubble playoffs and Marco Scandella apparently said it and O'Reilly backed him up saying, you know, there's, there's a decent amount of hate and some resentment still from the postseason a couple of years ago. They consider this a pretty good rivalry. So tonight might be a little chippy, which, uh, you know, it won't be correct Berube in the 1980s hockey, but it could be a little bit of a war this evening. Not to make light of that term, but it could be a little feisty fun. And I have no problem with that. Let's get after it. Look forward to reading it. Thank you, Robert. And thank you for always joining me. Let's do this again in a couple of days. Sound good? Sounds like a plan, man. Thank you. You're listening to Sports Bar Radio with Rob Fay, brought to you by Equity Guru. Equity Guru, investment information for millennials and madmen.